Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Last week, I discussed the cost of verbal vomiting. And if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. I'm still a fan of verbal vomiting. I think it's important, especially for those of us that are verbal processors. And it's also important for us to have awareness of there is a cost to it and being clear about what that cost is so that you can make choices that support you instead of possibly sabotaging you. So today I'm here to talk about who you can verbal vomit with, because this part is really, really important. It's that discernment. And I want to bring you back to when I first heard about life coaching, I was kind of like, what is life coaching? What is that? Is that therapy? And I could figure this out myself. I really bought into the whole self-help industry. Just read a book and you'll be able to figure it out and see your way, right? Or those people are just successful because they're smarter than me or they're worthier than me or they can figure things out. But going back to this life coaching thing, it was a big mysterious thing and I didn't understand it. And most importantly is I didn't believe it was for people like me right? It was like, oh, that's just what certain special people have, not somebody like me. It was like out of my touch, out of my reach, right? Then I also had this other belief of I should do it myself. And I really was really taking pride in that. Now, the irony is (laughs) I've been an athlete my entire life, essentially, or since I was eight. I'm not an athlete anymore. So I guess growing up, I was an athlete because I don't consider myself an athlete now. But I had coaches from the time I was eight until I retired at what, 21 years old. And I had coaches who helped me. I believed in mentors and I had those people and I had teachers. But for some reason, I didn't think that I could have a team to support me. And I had to, when I, especially when I became a professional of figuring it out myself and going it alone or making somebody a hostage. So I want to talk about the invisible systems that you may not know about and have some context in, there was a movie in the early 80s called Chariots of Fire. So those of you who are my age or older and remember this movie, right? One of the things was about these athletes, these elite track and field athletes. And it was really looked down upon and it was actually considered cheating if you had a coach because it was all about, do you have God-given talent? Could you rise, right? Like that was also my mindset about like, well, as I'm a professional, I should be able to figure this out myself. If I'm worthy enough, I'll figure it out and it will happen for me, right? But that was the whole premise of Chariots of Fire is you don't have a coach because that's being less than and that's cheating. And it's about God-given talent. One of the things that we know about athletics is coaches can be really, really important. Are there absolutely some athletes who are going to do well with any different coach? There could be that as well. But there's coaches, whether they're developmental coaches, they're high performance coaches, there's coaches throughout the process that help these athletes develop into where they are now, 
right? And then when you start to go into the pros, there's so many different kinds of coaches. There can be a speed coach. There can be a nutrition coach, right? There can be, there's all these different teams, especially some of these elite athletes have now as we're learning more and more about human performance and the human body. We have this cultural programming belief of like, oh, famous people, you know, they have one name and they did it themselves or they were found in a mall and then they skyrocket to fame versus the overnight success taking 10 years and how many people help that person build their career. You know, I've had Warren Buffett's biographer on the show a couple of times. We'll put links in the show notes. You know, he didn't build his business by himself. He had a mentor when he went to grad school and he learned from his professor and really studied and understood the research. And then later on, his partner was Charlie Munger, where that was his, his, we would call him a sidekick, right? But there was that person that was part of him to process and think things out. Those are the invisible structures that we may not be aware of, of who are the people we surround ourselves with. You know, there's the famous Bill Gates and Paul Allen, We tend to put one person, a very famous person like Oprah Winfrey, like the Oprah Winfrey show. Well, at one point she had over 400 people that worked at Harpo Studios. There was a whole team of people that allowed her to be on that stage. You know, the same thing like Tom Brady in football, Lewis Hamilton really talks a lot about his team in Mercedes. And and every time they finish a race, he's always thanking his team and thanking the garage back at home because they're all part of this team. So there are these invisible systems, but oftentimes culturally, we put one person on that pedestal, not realizing all the people it took for that person to be successful. The other invisible system is usually the spouse. And I remember in the 90s, the Wall Street Journal had this landmark case that they were reporting on, and it was about a divorce. And it was this wife in Connecticut. She had been a stay-at-home mom. And the judge awarded her a third of their net worth, which I believe was around $36 million back then. And it was kind of unheard of at the time. And I don't remember if Connecticut was a community property state, but it was a big deal that she won this. And I remember reading through the article and the judge said, look, yes, she stayed at home and you worked, but had you not had her The idea is, would you have been able to climb so high in your corporate career? Because he would get a promotion. She would, you know, make sure that she'd find new schools for the kids, close out that school, sell the house, pack up, move while he got to go to work. She would entertain and have the parties and be able to create spaces where he could develop relationships with the people that he needed to have and continue to rise up. It was part of the support. And we often disregard it because it's, quote, unpaid labor. It's our spouse doing it. We tend to run over the very people we love, right, to get the approval of others. So we will discount it because there's not like a W-2 that gets attached to that. And again, this was in the 90s. I remember reading about it in the Wall Street Journal. This still goes on to this day. What's the support, right? Who are the people? And maybe it's invisible and maybe we don't recognize it. Maybe our spouse doesn't recognize it. Maybe, you know, their company doesn't recognize it. One of the things that I'm always astounded with is the college coaching and in that industry, the taxing that it takes on the spouses and the support that the spouses either have to offer or offer, or even just by taking care of the kids, because I call them like a 
coach widowers, right? Like their spouses are off coaching and they solo parent a lot. That's part of the invisible system that goes on so that one spouse can really coach their team and really help those people be at success. But there's somebody else at home taking care of the kids, taking care of the family, taking care of the household. Other invisible systems are, you know, daycare centers. How valuable are they for working parents? During the pandemic, when we had virtual schooling, our country realized the crisis that we are in and how much we relied on school as part of our daycare. That's an invisible system of support. That's part of being on our team, right? There are those who have private nannies, right? I remember when my kids were young and, you know, trying to figure all of that out so that we could be two working parents. And, you know, we had nannies and live-ins and babysitters and, you know, different choices. Some people have au pairs. I didn't realize in my town, there was, I was on a Facebook group a couple weeks ago and people were asking information about au pairs and, and what's the process. And there was quite a bit of knowledge there, but that's part of the invisible system. So like some of those people, you may be going, wow, how do they get it all done? They just seem to have life be really easy. They may have a lot of support and invisible systems that you may not be aware of. There can be also family members. There can be family members that are helping, you know, in the day to day, there can be family members that can provide invisible support financially. So those are different invisible systems, like in just in the arena of childcare. So I want to remind you, and I've said this often here, is we're not supposed to go it alone. That's really, really important. I know we will do it. And I was really a rugged individual, like, no, I can do it myself. And I beat myself up. And I had these unrealistic expectations, right? But it's so important to build teams to support you. Before, when I was thinking I was going it alone, the consequence was is that I was finding anyone who listened and then I would verbally vomit because I was doing it myself and I didn't allow myself to have the space. At some point, it was like a volcano, right? Like it just had to come out. And that's where I got really good at pitching a tent, building a campfire, you know, woe is me, having a pity party on myself and telling my story and becoming an excellent story fondler which was draining, exhausting. And here's the key. It was non-productive. It didn't help me arrive to a solution. I got maybe some dopamine hits because there was some kind of hot wiring of connection, you know, and going, oh, okay, here's somebody, but not really seeing a way through it and just sitting there story falling over and over. What I've learned since then is that we all have teams, right? And teams are really important. And one arena is like my back, right? In my back, I have a team. I have a massage therapist. I have a physical therapist. I have a chiropractor and I'm my personal physician. Now, culturally, we're programmed to think that we're supposed to go to our doctor and insurance is supposed to pay for that. And when I'm talking about this team, it doesn't mean that I go to all these people all the time. It's who is the person that can help. So the beauty is is that by having a team, It's about going through that checklist of who is the person that can help me solve this problem? Who's on my team? Who do I already have? The beauty of having a team ahead of time is I know who that person can be. And then it's a matter of getting on their schedule. Before having that person, it's like, oh no, now I've got to go find the person. And then are we a right fit? Will they be able to help me? Will they not? Right. Once they're a team member, 
it helps alleviate that. And then it becomes a matter of getting on their schedule or having a frequency and a routine. So one of the things for you to think about is to identify what are the different arenas in your life. So often it's family, friends, our children, work, our health. Like I talked about back health, there's physical health. You know, you can have a team of where do you like to work out? Who do you like to work out with? Whether it's somebody leading you, people you go with and be on that team. You know, and this all aligns with who are the people who've earned the right to hear your story? So what we tend to do is we have a spouse, a partner, a best friend. We put this huge expectation, which can also be a burden that they're supposed to be our everything, our everybody, or even our parents, right? They're supposed to be our everything and everybody they may not have the capacity for that, right? My husband, if I'm having a day, he may be in the middle of something himself and not have the capacity to hold space and to support me in that moment. The beauty of when you have a team of people, you'll know who do you go to and who can't you go to, especially if you're not available in that moment. You'll have a better idea because you may not always know of who can help you support you solve the problem or listen to you as you try to figure it out of what you need to solve, right? So being aware that people have teams, right? Like I used to think I'm a coach. I know the stuff. I should just do it myself. (laughs) And then there were some crises that were going on and it just wasn't working. One, I wasn't very good at keeping my own appointments with myself because somebody else would want something and I would go and deliver for them because I could always reschedule with me. So I got really, really clear as I needed support. So I hired my coach and I made it consistent, right? And I work on always making that consistent. So I have that space. I have my own therapist that I work with because there's some stuff that unpack, you know, and work on therapy things. So those are really important. Like it's not a matter of weakness. And I used to think that, you know, and I'm so thankful because Brene Brown publicly talks about this, right? She has a leadership coach. She has a therapist and it's not because we're weak or we're broken, It's because we want support and we have people on our team to help us because guess what? There's always going to be shit shows, right? We can live an amazing life and there can be shit shows. So as you go through and think about who are the people on your team and what are the agreements that you have in place and reflect on that, do they support you? Some of the people were hostages. I never even asked them you know, is this something that you have the capacity for? I was coaching a client the other day and he was talking about, he ran into somebody, asked her how she was doing. And it was just this verbal vomit, right? Because work is stressful. There's all this, there's a disconnect in the company with what they say they're going to do and what they do. And she verbally vomited, you know, fortunately he's willing to listen. And they set up a time for lunch because at that time he didn't have the capacity, right? But the other side is, is that at some point, like we have to make a decision. What is our capacity? What do we have the ability to help people with and what do we not, right? And that is okay because we also have to make sure we take care of ourselves. So that's where boundaries are clear. It feels good like, oh, I can help somebody or they're in a crisis and I can help somebody. But do you have the ability to continuously help people be in crisis? Is that your skill set, right? Being really, really clear. What do you have to give those you support? And those who are asking for support, what do they have to give to you? So those are things to unpack and pay attention to. 
And then the other thing is, is that if you have some resistance and if you notice there's some resistance, what are the beliefs in the back of your head about building your team? Do you have like heroic individualism? Like I did, like, no, I can do it myself. You know, that's weakness. Or does it feel vulnerable, right? Like maybe it's like, I don't know, this is a lot of money or it's financial costs, right? Sometimes it's nice to pay somebody because that's the clear boundary of that relationship. You pay them, they help you, done. Sometimes you may not be able to pay people. And so then it's a barter system where you go to a friend, they help you with this, maybe with your verbal vomiting, you help them with their childcare. That could be something that being done. Make sure the boundaries are clear. That's what's really important. Otherwise things start to dissolve. So there could be financial costs. There can be the risk of it not working. But that's really in the rumble of being clear of like, what is it that you need? And them getting clear of what is it that they provide? So remember, my friend, no one is supposed to go it alone. We all have teams. You may not see them, but we have them. And my invitation for you is look around in your life. Where are the teams in specific arenas? You may have them in certain arenas and may not have them. This is something that I've been building on for a long time of who are the people on my team, right? And what are the different teams that I have? All right, I'm smiling big for you. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude and that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. Drifting, never been so wide open.